Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable, too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Ladies and gentlemen, may I have your attention, please? You are listening to The Big Cruise Podcast. Welcome to The Big Cruise Podcast. Welcome to episode 11. My name is Baz and I am your host. Hard to believe that uh, in this past 10 episodes how much the world has changed, Uh, but there is lots of positive news out there. There are lots of people telling me that when they can cruise, they will do so, and there's lots of people asking to leave a cruise review, which is just... uh, very heartwarming. Um, if you haven't uh, got in touch with us and you want to do so, you can do so via our website, thebigcruisepodcast.com. There's a contact us page or join the show page, um, and that's where you can easily uh, send a message through to us. We'd love to hear from you, whether it's just to say uh, what you think of the show or whether you want to uh, get involved and uh, leave a review of your most recent cruise experience. That would be greatly appreciated. But if I can ask for one thing, if it is one thing only, um, wherever you listen to your podcast, please subscribe to the Big Cruise Podcast. That way we make sure that you never miss out on an episode. It's automatically downloaded to your your phone or your uh, device to uh, be available for your uh, listening pleasure at a time convenient to you. Now, in this week's show, we will shortly be joined by Chris Frame uh, to uh, relive a little bit of maritime history and talk all things cruise news. Later, we'll also talk to Peter from Clear uh, to find out all about an Alaskan port, which is very, very popular with Australians. And a little later, we're actually joined by Chris Frame's brother-in-law, Alex, who was lucky enough to sail with Chris on a transatlantic cruise from Southampton to New York late last year. And we'll get to hear all of Alex's thoughts on the, uh, the Queen Mary 2 and the Cunard experience. And once again, it's my favourite time of the show when we're joined by Chris Frame to talk all things cruise news. And uh, first of all, Chris, we're going to start off with going back 109 years ago to uh, 1911. Yes, 1911, and a ship that has a very famous sister ship, actually. It's the Olympic, which was the first in the Olympic class, and her sister ship, obviously, was the Titanic. And there was a third in the um, in the trio, uh, the Britannic, which came on the scene a little bit later on. But Olympic was the first of this new class of ocean liner, uh, the largest ships in the world at the time, uh, built at the Holland and Wolf shipyard in Belfast. And uh, in 1911, in June of 1911, and in fact, the 14th of June, she set sail 
from Southampton on her maiden voyage across to New York. Now, unlike her unfortunate sister ship, the Olympics maiden voyage was a great success, a huge triumph, uh, and it signified White Star Line uh, sort of becoming reborn in a sort in a certain way uh, with this massive ocean liner uh, on the North Atlantic run. Uh, Olympic would actually be the only uh, one of the three in the class to be successful. In fact, um, Titanic, as we all know, sank during its maiden voyage, but Britannic was also lost during World War I uh, when operating as a hospital ship. But Olympic would go on to serve throughout World War I uh, as a troop carrier, um, and she would get the nickname of Old Reliable because she was such a reliable um, and, and loved ship amongst uh, the people who operated on her and also uh, those troops that traveled on board because she was, she was known as being um, able to get them to where they needed to go uh, on time. And uh, Olympic then would go on to re-enter service after World War I, um, and she'd sail through with White Star until the 1930s when White Star and Cunard merged um, during the Great Depression. Uh, and so in 1935, Olympic was eventually withdrawn from service. Uh, and sadly, um, as with so many ships, she was she was scrapped at the end of her service life. But parts of the interior were actually saved. And there's a few uh, buildings in the United Kingdom, uh, including a hotel that have Olympic interiors. So you can go and have, uh, have lunch, for example, in one of the dining rooms. It looks like the Olympics dining room because it uses the original woods from the ship, which is quite uh, quite a cool Oh, um, I didn't know that. Yeah, so it's uh, a little bit of her has been saved. And uh, yeah, a very famous ship and overshadowed by her, her ill-fated sister. But definitely uh, at the time, particularly before Titanic entered service, the Olympic was uh, the better known and the more popular of the, of the Olympic class liners because she was the first to, to enter service and the first ship to be um, at this 45,000 ton uh, mark, uh, which made her the largest ship in the world. Question without notice, how long did a transatlantic uh, crossing take back in uh, 1911? Well, the Olympic was actually uh, not the fastest uh, ship in service. So her transatlantic crossings would would have taken um, upwards of a week. But um, the fastest ships could do it uh, quicker than that. And one of the things that they they did with the Olympic class was instead of going for the fastest service, like what rivals such as Cunard and some of the German um, shipping lines, Norddeutsche Lloyd and Hamburg, America, uh, they were going for very fast crossings. What White Star decided to do uh, was to um, offer the highest level of service and very luxurious interiors. So Olympic's design was sort of a step up luxury-wise across all three classes um, compared to previous uh, large express liners. Uh, but the payoff of that was she operated a little bit slower. Um, and the reason being is it was so much more economical to operate slower. But they figured that passengers would choose to have a little bit of extra time on the ship if they could do it more comfortably. And so it was said that Olympics um, third class accommodation, for example, was of uh, comparable uh, standard to that that you could find on second class on lesser ships. So, yeah, that's how they kind of made that work on, on White Star. And that was their point of difference. And one of the reasons why, if you're traveling on Cunard um, in modern times, you'll notice that there's a thing on board called the White Star service. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and that's because White Star had sort of set themselves out as being this high service um, shipping line. And so Cunard kind of continues that with the White Star service today. 
Brilliant. Oh, yeah. What, uh, Lots of tie-ins. <laughs> <laughs> now let's move uh, uh, close to home, back over to Australia, because some great news came out of Royal Caribbean this week. Yes, it, exactly. Um, speaking about very large ships, we're getting two um, very large Royal Caribbean ships coming uh, to our waters uh, throughout the 2021-22 season. These are two of the quantum-class ships. Uh, many listeners will be familiar with the ova- Ovation of the Seas, which is one of the quantum-class ships that's been in Australian waters before. Uh, but her sister ship and the class leader, the first in the class, um, the quantum of, quantum of the Seas, will be joining her um, in Australian waters. So their voyage is expected to be um, sailing out of Sydney. Um, but then also in 2022, um, Brisbane's going to see a boost with uh, Radiance of the Seas coming to our waters as well. So they'll be offering a series of different uh, itineraries, including uh, South Pacific voyages, Trans-Tasman voyages across to New Zealand, uh, and um, the favourite Australian coastal voyages too. Yeah, no, I mean, that was such good news when I read that this week, uh, to, to for them to put a line in the sun and say, hey, hey, we're, we're going to bring some of the biggest and best ships to Australia, which is absolutely fabulous. Absolutely. Um, I mean, this, I was kind of looking at the Olympic, this ship here is like three times the size of what was the biggest back in 1911. So it's a, <laughs> it's a huge ship. Um, and to have two of them is, and the, the style and quality on board is very high. So it'll be a yeah. great boost for the market. Absolutely. Another cruise line that's uh, had uh, some, some, well, had a new ship which is yet to enter service is, of course, uh, Virgin Voyages. Mm. Um, their second ship is uh, not far behind the first. No, they've, they've actually built their two first two ships uh, very quickly. Um, Scarlet Lady and Valiant Lady um, are the two ships that are, are ready for service. Um, shame uh, Virgin Voyages had a very unsuccessful start to their cruising career, I suppose, because of all the impact of uh, coronavirus, they had to pull out um, of their maiden season, which I think they were one of the first lines to make that uh, make that call and was very prudent to not try and do those maiden voyages when um, the COVID crisis was, was accelerating. Um, so Scarlet Lady, as we've spoken about before, has been sort of laid up uh, in, a, in a state of warm layup in the Caribbean, but uh, her sister ship um, has been completed at Fincantieri and is now, um, I suppose, waiting in um in a stage of uh of layup to um be entered into service once the coronavirus crisis passes yeah i think there's just the last uh, items of fitting out to do um, on board which they'll obviously do as slowly as possible now uh, yeah given that there's no cruises but uh, of course she will be sailing around the mediterranean which is great news yes it will be and uh, again like a very different type of cruise i think virgin gave the designers the uh, the brief of trying to make this ship, these two ships uh, stand out from all of the existing cruise ships. And, and I understand that many of the designers had never actually worked on cruise ships before to sort of bring a different, uh, a bit of a different take to to cruising. So it'll be interesting to see the, the passenger feedback once these two ships uh, enter service. Yeah, absolutely. Now, a cruise line very close to your heart, uh, your favorite Cunard, of course, uh, also mm. made a statement this week. They did. Um, unfortunately, uh, due to the ongoing issues with coronavirus, the company has announced that it will extend its cruise pause. Um, for the two ships that are based in the UK, Queen Mary 2 and Queen Victoria, um, they won't be re-entering service until the 1st of November. And both of them are currently at anchor off Weymouth uh, on the UK coast. So again, if you do some searches online or go into the Cunard Facebook page you can see some amazing pictures of the two of them um, actually alongside the whole PO UK fleet all at anchor um, off the coast there Queen Elizabeth which has been in Australian waters earlier this year um, she's currently 
uh, at anchor in the Philippines, and she won't enter service again until the 23rd of November. Um, now, as with every time we do one of these updates, do keep checking um, both your travel agent or the Cunard or Cruise Line websites because these dates could, of course, change. Um, but I think it's just uh, the first probably of many who are going to push that cruise pause out um, as things uh, continue to evolve uh, in the current situation. Yeah, which kind of leads on to our next uh, point, which is Norwegian Cruise Lines announcing uh, a delay or a pause completely of the Australian season. Yeah, so Norwegian was quite exciting because they'd announced that they were going to send their 93,000 tonne uh, ship, the Norwegian Jewel, to Australian waters for this year and, and early next year. Um, but because of what's been going on in 2020, this uh, experience now won't be taking place. Um, the companies said that it's in relation to the fleet redeployment. And you've got to imagine that with all these ships laid up now, there's a, a huge piece of work that's going to have to uh, be undertaken to reactivate and get them all back to where they need to be. Uh, and so we won't be um, we won't be seeing Norwegian Jewel in Australian waters uh, in the foreseeable future. Uh, but the company is offering refunds and discounts on future cruises for those people who are affected. So, again, um, speak to your travel agent or check out the Norwegian Cruise Line website. Yeah, on a more positive uh, slant, they are committed to bringing down Norwegian Spirit for the following season. So that'll be our summer 21-22 season. And Spirit has just gone through a major uh, refurbishment. So we'll be getting a, a completely refreshed ship um, when the, they come back for the yeah. second time. Actually, some... Um, Aussies might remember Spirit because she used to, back when she was first built, um, used to operate for Star Cruises. Um, so there was a superstar Virgo and um, her sister ship was the, uh, now is the Norwegian Spirit. So um, much changed having had a number of refits with NCL. But yeah, as you say, she's just had another major refurbishment and uh, it would be great to see her in Australian waters. And last up, we've got some more great news from our friends at Hertigruten who were announcing for 21 that they'll be sailing ex-UK. Yeah, in fact, from Dover. And Dover's becoming uh, more and more popular as an alternate cruise port. Of course, in the UK, Southampton dominates from um, a cruising point of view. But there's a number of cruise lines now that are doing sailings from, from Dover. And Dover's already a popular port for um, crossing the channel as well. So it's, uh, it's great to see that. Um, they are going to be sailing their expedition ship, the Maud, um, which has got about a 500-person capacity uh, and should be sailing out of Dover on cruises around the UK but also um, up to Scandinavia as well. Uh, and she's going to be given a refurbishment prior to her entry into service on the UK market. So, yeah, again, some good news and also nice to see cruise lines making a commitment to the future uh, amid you know all the sort of negative news that we've had to be dealing with this year. And for people that are familiar with Hertigruten, if you've not heard of the name Maud before, it's because it's a, a new name. They're actually rebadging or renaming what was the Midnight Shoal, which was the first of their kind of expedition fleet. So she's going to be receiving a complete makeover and re-emerging uh, a little later as the Maud. And from the images that I've seen, she looks beautiful. Yeah, it's going to be looking great. And I think you can check out um, what they're going to be uh, doing with the ship on their website as well. Oh, thanks again, Chris. It's always a pleasure to have you uh, on board. And uh, just remind us where we can check out your latest videos. Uh, sure, yeah. I've got uh, a whole heap of new videos that have been uploaded over the last few weeks, and they're at youtube.com slash chriscunard. Brilliant. I'll take a little look later myself and also pop the link into the show notes. Chris, until next week, thanks again. 
This podcast is not possible without the help of our good friends at cruisefinder.com.au. Uh, they have more than 30,000 different cruises live on their website, many with live availability and pricing. But most importantly, each and every call, chat and email is answered here in Australia by Australian clear accredited cruise specialists. So when you're looking for your next cruise, please consider the team at cruisefinder.com.au. And it's for that time of the show where we call on our good friend Peter from Clear, who has spent decades out on the oceans. Pete, welcome to the show. And today, let's talk about Alaska. Oh, I love Alaska. Me too. I'll, I'll tell you something quickly first. Sorry. Um, a lot of people underestimate Alaska as far as um, they all, they just associate Alaska with the mature market. They just think seniors yeah. go to Alaska. It is a massive opportunity for families. It is so good for families. Yeah, and even if you want to be a bit more adventurous, you know, there's things like zip lining and rafting and all sorts of things going on. Yeah, you've got your nature. They love their bears and eagles, and then you've got the, the history with the gold rush and the Inuit uh, tribes. And, and then, of course, you've got all those activities, kayaking, fishing, hiking, you name it. <laughs> They've got it. So the kids, <laughs> they get educated. They're, it's you know, it's, So um, if there's any viewers, uh, li- viewers listeners out there um, that are thinking about Alaska, think about taking the grandkids or the, or the kids couldn't agree more. Now, there's three strong ports that feature pretty much every itinerary up in Alaska. They're normally Juneau, Ketchikan, and Skagway. Mm-hmm. Today, I thought we'd talk about Ketchikan. Mm. Isn't this beautiful? I love it when you can just walk off the ship and you're bang right in the heart of the experience. Yeah. Um, have you, I don't know if you've had the opportunity to, there's an area right next to the port called Creek Street. It's probably yeah, yeah, famous bit. So it's for the for the listeners who aren't familiar. It's a historic boardwalk that used to be a red light district, actually, in the old gold rush days. But now they've uh, um, reconstructed it, and um, it, it, it's kept in time. But now they're full of artisan shops and, and restaurants and local food. Um, but just just not even going on a tour, just walking along Creek Street, which isn't really a street. Like I said, it's on you know, it's a boardwalk on stilts. So there's a the river running through with salmon and so forth, but it is just it, it just really encapsulates that uh, Alaskan feel, doesn't it? There's um I forget the name of the boat now, but when I was there a, a long time ago, um the world's deadliest catch that uh, fishing program on on TV. There's one of their original boats oh, that they okay. use out of the Bering Sea, and you can go out with the the crab fishermen and um, let them put yeah, their pots yeah. down and pull things back, and really educational. It was a really good half day out. Um, but every time I've been to Ketchikan, it's always rained. <laughs> <laughs> but isn't that the beauty? Yeah. It adds to the mystique. But you know, the what you mentioned earlier with the education that that's what I love about Ketchikan. Look, they call it the salmon capital of the world. You can you can uh, do all the taste tests of like really fresh salmon that's never been refrigerated in its life. But they've got other things there. They've got a lumberjack show, which the kids love, a um, bit of education. There's a totem pole park where you can learn about the indigenous cultures and how they design those totem poles, the meanings and how the hierarchy and, and you know how it tells a story. Um, it's, it's just a really cool place. You got So the reason I like it is it sums up Alaska. You know, it's it's got the nature, so you can do the whale looking. There's a an area I think it's called Needs Point. We can do some bear watching. Although I I, I hate uh, talking about you will see a bear because yeah. there's no such thing. You can't guarantee nature. Hey, uh, you know, Grizzly Adams. Oh, I need you at four. There's a <laughs> some passengers coming around. Um, but it, that is a, quite a regular spot. 
Um, you got June buggies for activities. Oh, it's it's just even though there's no dunes, but they're made like that. But uh, it's just got everything, and yeah. that's what you want in a port. You you want to you know satisfy um, easily and conveniently because everything's around there. But for everyone, any niche or taste. So I love Ketchikan, one of my favorite ports in Alaska. Absolutely. Couldn't agree more. And if you're looking for an Alaskan cruise, make sure you look for a clear accredited cruise specialist. Pete, thanks again. Cheers, man. When you're packing for your next cruise, maybe consider a new pair of handmade sandals to go. Uh, Evolcus are handmade in Spain and sold with love here in Australia by sandalsandsunsets.com.au. You'll find all the details in the show notes below. Okay, next up on the show, uh, Alex is joining us, and uh, Alex recently travelled all the way over to the UK to uh, cruise on a milestone occasion on board Queen Mary 2. Alex, welcome to the show. Thank you very much for having me. Oh, always, a, always a pleasure. Um, so give us a bit of a background on how you ended up being on this cruise and uh, what the, the, the special occasion was. Okay, so I was extremely lucky to be able to go on this cruise, um, best because my brother-in-law Chris Chris Frame was actually lecturing on board the ship. So the cruise had a special significance for Cunard because it had been a hundred years since Cunard had moved its express line of service from Liverpool to Southampton, and it was the hundred year of that actually happening. So uh, I think the day before we left a hundred years ago, the Mauritania had done its first. Um, docking there and left left from Southampton for the first time. So I think they were trying to commemorate that. So they'd done a few nice things on board the ship, obviously, to commemorate that happening. And they had some guest speakers that were dialed in. Obviously, Chris is a, an expert on Cunard and anything to do with transatlantic or passenger liners. Um, and then we had some other people on board as well from Sea City Museum and a full display on board with a lot oh, wow. of history of transatlantic so that was really interesting so yeah it was a nice cross-section of um, memorabilia that they had on board in display cabinets um, as well as um, the presenters as part of the insights program on board was very valuable for people that are interested in transatlantic travel for sure brilliant now you're here in australia how did you get over to the uk i'm guessing you flew (laughs) who did you fly with and did you have any pre-accommodation in the uk at all uh, yeah, so we booked accommodation the night before. So both Chris and I have young families, so we went pretty much the last bit we could do. We wanted to get there a day in advance just in case flights went bad. Mm-hmm. Um, I was very lucky. I ended up going on the direct flight from Perth through to London with Qantas. Oh, so how was that? They have, yeah, it was. it's an excellent service that they do. They do a really, really good service. Um, so you're looking at around about 15 to 16 hours solid flying depending on the winds that you get at the time so i think it can be up to 17 but um yeah this flight was fairly quick so i got there in around just under 16 hours was the from perth direct into heathrow Um, and and i was able to fly business class because i had enough frequent flyer points to justify that which was nice (laughs) and now that you've done the direct would you do direct again or would you think you prefer the the stop off in either Asia or the Middle East? Every day, I'd go direct. 
Yeah, okay, it makes a big difference. I think the cabin in the Dreamliner as well it also makes a difference because of the air quality in the Dreamliner is excellent. Um, yeah. And also, you just not when you're going through Dubai or if you're going through Singapore, you're just adding another four to five hours onto your trip through that connection, uh, yeah. depending on if you can get a quick connection or not. But most of the time, it's the minimum of three hours that you're adding on, plus the landing and the takeoff time that you've got within your plane then, if it's on time. So yeah. having a direct flight, I thought was going to be daunting um, and thought that because I'm not the greatest flyer, but it went a lot quicker than I thought it would. And yeah, I really enjoyed the experience. Oh, good to know. Now, you've made your way from London down to Southampton. Um, how long did it take to get from curbside to physically be on board the ship? Uh, now, when we went down to Southampton, so we stayed in London the night before, and then we got a train from Waterloo Station down, which was very quick, down to Southampton. Mm-hmm. It was about an hour or so. Uh, Chris had a lecture at Sea City Museum, um, which he did uh, beforehand, based on the theme that we were doing. Yeah. And then after that lecture, we just went straight down to curbside on a um, taxi and it was literally 10, not even 10 minutes to get down there from the, the museum. So very, very quick. Brilliant. And how about checking in for the cruise and getting up actually physically onto the ship? I think anyone that's um, cruised with Cunard knows that they, they tend to be pretty efficient. Uh, they have, um, obviously, we went to the main international terminal. The international terminal has an upstairs area with holding bays, depending on where you are. Obviously, it's class-driven, so anyone who's a Diamond or a Platinum member will probably get priority for getting on board the ship quicker. Uh, being part of, I guess, we're considered as crew because Chris was lecturing, uh, we got um, ushered through fairly quickly, so very clean checked the passports over, made sure we're in all good health and um, then just did a full scan of us and made sure that we're not holding anything that we shouldn't be through the scanners and um, we were aboard the ship. Okay, you found your way onto the ship and uh, what's your normal activity? you go straight to find your, your cabin on stateroom or do you tend to get a bite for lunch? Um, I think we arrived on board a little bit after, yeah, it was just after lunch. So um, we came on board, you enter through the grand lobby on the second floor um, and that's a really nice entryway. The way that they do things on QNR is quite special. They have a whole heap of people there to greet you and say hello. Um, obviously, having been aboard the ship before, you're fairly well versed on what levels and how to get to where you need to get. So we were clear with where our stateroom was, dropped our bits and pieces off. And then my first point of call is got to, you've got to go onto boat deck, don't you? And have a have a good walk around yeah. boat deck and just experience just the sheer size of the ship in port. Um, having an uh, the world's last ocean liner and seeing just how insignificant the international terminal looks next to it is quite impressive. Remind <laughs> me on Cunard's lifeboat drill: Do you physically take your life jacket and go to the muster station, or do you literally watch a, a safety briefing? Uh, normally, um, when I've done it in the past on the Cunard ships, you do take your life jacket with you uh, from your stateroom. Uh, this lifeboat drill was slightly different where you didn't take it with you. They actually had them supplied there and they were showing you how to do it there within your muster station. Oh, okay. So, look, that, that was done a uh, couple of hours after boarding and then what they did is they scan your cruise card. So when you come aboard, you're allocated a cruise card so you don't have any money aboard, you just have a cruise card. 
And everyone that goes into that muster has to scan their cruise card, which ticks them off to make sure that they've done the lifeboat or the, the lifeboat or the life jacket drill. Sure. And if they weren't there, they get to do it again the next day with the, the safety officer. <laughs> they do indeed. Yes. Um, now let's take a little thought about your cabin. We're in the um, we're in the forward stairwell deck six, so um, on the port side. And uh, the cabin we had was a um, an ocean view uh, stateroom, Britannia Britannia Grill, and uh, that was yeah, it was lovely actually. It had a nice amount of space. Normally. When you're traveling with a presenter, you get what's called an ED cabin or an entertainment cabin, which is on deck four or five. And they are pre-refit rooms and they're quite small. So they've got a couple of train beds in there and a small little, they're a very small cabin with a porthole. Okay. They're right in the very, very front of the ship. So this was a little bit further back by the A stairwell and heaps of room, lots, very comfortable and appointed just like it would any other Britannia class stateroom. And since the refurb, did they introduce USB charging ports at all? Yes, there was charging ports there. Um, and they have a better, they've got an upgraded television now. So it's not the, the old school CRT deep television it used to be. <laughs> it's now a flat screen television, which is excellent. Uh, I think they run a Samsung TV because I was able to actually stream directly from my phone to the television, which was handy. Oh, wow. Um, so... Yeah, we were able to watch a couple of things. If you wanted to have a quiet afternoon or evening, you could actually watch something that you'd had saved on your phone easily like that. Plus, there's plenty of different power ports available and um, adapters available at the concierge. And remind me, in the the bathroom, have we got the the delightful shower curtains or are we uh, glass screens nowadays? They are the delightful shower curtains in the one that we had, yes. And when you're six foot five tall, like myself and Cliff both are, it's um, an interesting one. Does it still flood the bathroom? <laughs> yes, yes, it does. <laughs> now let's take a little uh, thought on the dining on board. Um, obviously, lots of choices. You mentioned you were in a Britannia cabin, and for the for the listeners, if they're not familiar with Cunard, depending on the accommodation that you book, actually determines which restaurant you dine in. So you're obviously in the Britannia dining room versus the Queen or the Princess Grills. Um, tell us about that, that dining room. Tell us about the Lido if you went there um, and also any speciality experiences that you did. Sure. So um, we did most of our evening dining in the Britannia dining room, which personally I think is the, the nicest dining room in the, in the whole ship. I think it, it's, yeah, it's pretty impressive. Uh, the way that the staircases roll down from the second level and to the bottom level and having the captain's table in the centre, is it's a real special experience. And Having all of the people around you on the ship, especially during a transatlantic where it is um, a lot of people on board, uh, it's a great atmosphere as well. So um, traveling with a presenter, we try to sit at a different table every night. So we're, we're meeting different people each each night, which is um, mm-hmm. really good fun. And um, we're actually lucky on board to uh, dine with the captain one night on his table. And um, we were actually able to go into Queen's Grill one night because my parents came on board who were in Queen's Grill. And their um, maitre d' actually allowed us, Chris and myself, to come and eat with them for one night, which was a really special experience as well. Oh, nice. Is it a completely different menu or is it just a more intimate dining experience? 
Very, very different menu altogether. Everything, okay. everything in terms, it is, it is a more intimate dining experience. Um, the the staff in Queens Grill are second to none. They're amazing. Um, uh, when it comes to silver service, they've got it down pat, and that's coming from someone who thinks Britannia is excellent. I think the service across the ship, they do a really, really good job. The White Star service that they've got has certainly been upheld, um, and they do an exceptional job with certainly the amount of covers that they're having to to push out each sitting. They do a, a really, really good job. How about the famous pub lunch in the, is it the Golden Lion or the Red Lion? Yeah, the, the Golden Lion, that's correct. Um, the Golden Lion pub lunch, you can't beat that. Yeah. So um, yeah. normally you'd catch one of the insights lectures in the morning. There's normally a morning lecture around about 10, 11 o'clock. Um, sit down and watch one of those and then you'd have a pub lunch and they've got the classics. They've got butter chicken. They've got um, the, the haddock and chips, as you would call it in the UK. Mm-hmm. Um, and they've got you know, just, just classics there and you can get a pint of Guinness and it really does feel like you're in an old English pub. It's fantastic. And yeah, that's certainly yeah, that's one nice. of the highlights of the lunchtime period, I would say. How about the is it the King's Court Buffet? Did you dine up there at all? Yes. No, most most mornings um, after going to the gym, because I'm a, a bit of a fitness fanatic, I like to get down to the gym in the morning and work off some of the night before's three-course meal. Um <laughs> And the uh, King's Court's great. They've got a really good selection there. If you want to eat healthy, there's plenty of options. There's lots of salad options, sushi, sashimi, right the way through to things like pizzas. Um, They do burgers on board to order. So you can get a cheeseburger and add your toppings and things on there for you. And they've also got things like your Sunday roast lunches as well. Um, so there's a there's a good selection up there that you can go go to for lunchtime, and even breakfast or dinner if you decide to go. But mo- most of the time we went up there, it was um, breakfast time or lunch. Sure. Now this was pre-COVID because you were travelling late last year. Um, I know Kunal are, are very hot on hygiene and, and hand washing, but uh, was the hand washing stations and and sanitising stations available pretty much all over the ship? I imagine there would be. Um, yeah, absolutely. Um, at every entryway to any eating area, they have um, the hand sanitizer stations. Which they've got automated ones there. Plus, they normally have one to two staff on each doorway, which are handing out hand sanitizer to you before you even come through. So Brilliant. they do a, a good job with that. Um, in terms of King's Court, uh, yes, it is buffet style. So at the time that was buffet style, and I'd imagine now that it would probably be served for you and passed yep. to you. But at the time, it was a buffet style in King's Court. Uh, everywhere else on board, it was um, a la carte style service and served to you by a member of the Kunan team. Brilliant. Now, the onboard currency is um, US dollars, but can you remember roughly the the cost of a price of a beer or a specialty coffee? Yeah, so coffees wise would probably be in US dollars around about three fifty to four dollars US, um, and beers would probably be around about eight to nine dollars US. Yep. Okay. Uh, for a pint of beer, so nothing scary, but yeah, it's 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 a little bit more expensive than you'll be paying on land, but not not a huge amount of difference. Plus, they do special nights where they've got discounts and cocktails and that type of thing. Sure. 
Now, you were on a transatlantic cruise, pretty much non-stop, uh, Southampton through to New York, so we won't have any ports to talk about. But I'm interested to know the, the feel and the flow of the ship. I mean, it's a big ship. Um, but do you ever feel like there's that many people on board, or is it so cleverly designed that you, you can find that quiet spot to call your own? Yeah, I, I definitely, I definitely think you can find your own spot on board. Look, it, I, I think full it holds two thousand six hundred and something passengers, and it doesn't feel like that. I think the only time you really feel that is probably when you're in the dining room in your dining sitting, or if you're in a show. Um, there's enough places on board, so if you're looking to go and have a drink uh, during the day, a good place to go and probably my favourite place in the ship is a place like the Commodore Club. So you can go up to the Commodore Club. And that's right at the front of the ship, just below the bridge. And there's a great view out of the front of the ship. And that's a nice place to have a quiet drink during the day in the afternoon. And maybe a read of a book or whatever you'd like to do. And then there's a, a couple of more frequented places like the chart room or below that and the Golden Lion pub on the level below, which are pubs that are fairly busy all throughout the day. And after 12 o'clock, they're quite busy. Yep. Um, and dress attire-wise, I mean... Most people that cruise with Cunard do know that it's it, it is a traditional cruise line. Um, you are required at times to wear the the the, the right attire um, on a transatlantic cruise. How many formal nights would there be? Uh, I think it depends what you consider formal. I think from an Australian perspective, we we see formal slightly differently to what English do and Americans do, which is interesting. So, uh, Chris and myself, we're we're quite. Uh, I guess we're understanding of what Cunard is and we, we bring all our formal attire with us and it's, it, it, it's nice. It's a really nice thing to be able to get dressed up properly for meals and have a formal night. But in terms of how many formal nights, I'd say that out of the seven nights, there would probably be four of them that are, are full formal and a couple, probably three of them that would be uh, semi-formal. Okay, yeah. No, I mean, there's a, there's a lot of people that, choose Cunard specifically because they like the opportunity to dress up and it's it's no sadly not available on many cruise lines anymore yeah I miss I, I think it's a real shame because it, there's there's a certain level of history there it's um getting yourself ready for dinner getting everyone coming out in their finest it's you know you're harking back to an era a bygone era and they're, they're keeping these traditions alive of what transatlantic travel was all about you know, you kind of get dressed up, go and have a cocktail before the show, go and have an amazing dinner. And it's it's a special thing which really sets Cunard apart from a lot of the other cruise lines that do this. Um, and I, I like I like the way that they do that. I like that the fact that they've kept the traditions, especially in what I was talking about before with things like the silver service um, and the dining traditions and what they've, what they've done with the ship and how the ship flows. It's very classic. And its design, it's nice. And entertainment-wise, what kind of activities were, were taking place during the day um, and into the evening? Um, during the day, they had all sorts of activities. You could do, um, my parents were right into art. They had um, um, down in the art gallery, they had speakers on down there. Um, obviously, I was right into the Insights program because that was giving you a, a real breakdown of, how transatlantic travel has developed over the last hundred years, and that was obviously a theme in, in the trip. They had um, a girl on Penny League who was a destination from Southampton, giving a history of Southampton, which was interesting as well. 
they had pub quizzes on in the Golden Lion pub at lunchtime um, and then live music in the early evening at different bars and areas within the ship, um, which is really nice to be able to do. Now, after, depending on when you're seating, uh, if you're doing the late seating, you can go to the late show or the early seating, the early early show. They have um, shows with comedians, musicians, uh, right the way through to orchestra acts um, each night, um, which is really great. And I don't forget as well, they have in the Queen's Room dancing. So they do dancing lessons in the Queen's Room and then they have ballroom dancing later at night after people have finished their meals. So... And I think they used to do fencing as well. Do they still do that? I didn't notice fencing on board, but if they had fencing, I would have definitely done it. That okay. would have been awesome. Yeah, no. Maybe they never had it. Not to say it wasn't there, but I didn't see fencing on the program. That would be fantastic. Okay. Then again, fencing no, in this- a nine-meter swell in a force-twelve wind might be a little bit interesting. <laughs> well, that's going to be my next question, actually, because normally we talk about the ports you visit, but obviously there was no ports. You had seven straight CDs. Um, I've crossed the Atlantic a couple of times. I've been very lucky. Every time it's been like a, a mill pond. How was the experience in October? Um, yeah, in, in I've got to be, in November. It was it was quite it was quite flat for the first three four days. I don't get seasick, so I didn't really see. I, there was a little bit of movement here and there. I think on day three. We had a little bit of swell come through and a bit of wind and rain, so it wasn't exactly very nice outside. Um, but day five at around about 2 a.m. in the morning, um, I woke to a pretty heavy hit in the front because we're in the A stairwell. We're right at the front of the ship. A pretty yep. heavy hit on the front of the ship and the ship was moving a lot. And for, for a ship that's 360 metres long or and has four stabilizers on it to be moving as much as it was is quite amazing. So <laughs> both Chris and I both Chris and I woke up and then we we're getting quite excited because we've been dreaming of the fact of having having a big swell and um, seeing the ship actually moving around. And um, the next thing we knew, we we're on deck six and we had water coming past our porthole. Oh, so, wow. Yeah, that was yeah, quite quite exciting to be able to see that. And first thing we did at 3 a.m. in the morning is we got up and um, went went down to the back of the ship to see if we could actually look outside or see what was going on. And um, they had all of the uh, boat deck locked off completely. Um, oh, wow. we went up in We went up into the chart room without kind of looking underneath the, the blinds because they have it covered for navigation purposes for the for the guys on the bridge. And as I did that, a bow wave came over the front of the bow. So yeah, it was quite, <laughs> it's quite special. So being, up, being able to see that ship doing what it was designed for was yeah really nice. Yeah. And as you say, she was specifically designed for this. There is no other ship that is uh, built like her at all. Yeah, it's amazing. And she just handled it so well. And look, throughout the, that morning, I think we had a force 12, which is considered hurricane force winds. And, um, yeah, it just handled it brilliantly. Look, don't get me wrong, there was a fair bit of movement in the front of the ship and there was a lot of people that didn't like that. But I think any other ship would be in, in real trouble that wasn't designed to do it like the Queen Mary was. So, yeah, she did exceptionally well through the through the winds and the rain yep. and the swells. Absolutely. Now, 
I know you're particularly fond of Queen Mary, but have you got a particular area that is, is your, your favourite place on board? Favourite place would probably have to be the Commodore Club. Uh, I just think that the, the way that, that it, being a cocktail lounge, the way that it is, I, I really like the way that it's got a just a kind of a classic cabaret lounge vibe to it. It's very open. It's got a great view of the front of the ship. Uh, it's a brilliant bar. The barmen there are exceptional and doesn't matter if the cocktail's not on your list, they're just able to make it for you. So uh, it was, yeah, certainly probably from a bar perspective, that's my favourite pace of the ship. Um, I would probably say the rear of the ship where the where the pools are, when you're leaving port in a nice sunny summer environment. Uh, I've been in Australian ports before leaving and having a beer on the back of the ship by the pools with the band playing is pretty special too. Yeah. Um, so mm-hmm. coming out of Tasmania like that was a, a pretty special experience. So it really depends on the weather and also depends on the location to where you are. But number one would have to be the Commodore Club for me. And my next question um, is about the cruise director, or in Kudon's case, the entertainment director. Some people say that they have no real impact on their holiday. They're not too bothered about them. Other people say... They're such characters that they end up following them on social media and they they um, really elevate their cruise to the next level. Um, what were your thoughts on the entertainment director on, on this particular cruise? Uh, she was great. Uh, I think that she did a really good job and I think they've got a really hard job. I think anyone saying that they don't care, it's it's a full-time job and they're they're up at the crack of dawn and they're going to bed right after the last, last show's finished at night. And they're having to do pre-recordings with people and interviews with people that are going to be on as part of the Insights program. They're having to organise bands. They're having to organise and introduce the performers for the night. So I think the cruise, cruise and entertainment directors do a fantastic job. I really do. And um, I think that she was engaging and she did a great job. I can't, I'm, I'm a bit bad. I can't actually remember her name, but um, she, she was excellent was the answer. And they, they, they do a good job trying to get everything sorted and keeping everyone up to date of what's happening for the day. Good news. And kind of almost to the end now, but um, if the the executives at Cunard, whether they're here in Sydney or in Southampton, were listening to this and you wanted to pass a message on about your, your thoughts on Cunard and Queen Mary, this is uh, your opportunity to do so. Okay, so my thoughts would be that obviously these are very tough times at the moment for Cunard and the Carnival Line. I think that Cunard really has a special place within the cruising community. It has a history that is unsurpassed by any other cruise line. So I think it's important that you keep this brand going and that you keep the the traditions of the brand going. Um, so look, I know that there's going to be tough times and there's going to be certain brands that don't make it through um, COVID, but I think Cunard is, it's extremely important to keep this going. It's a unique product. Uh, and I think in this environment, I think it's a product that will survive going forward. Um, having the world's last and only ocean liner is something that, you know, we can only dream about going on and the fact that I've been able to do a transatlantic crossing westbound um, is just unbelievable you know and it's just such a special thing to have done and it's such a special thing to have done with that 100 year anniversary and coming into New York in the early morning at 4 30 in the morning where it's absolutely freezing um, and coming under that bridge and seeing the um, 
Statue of Liberty and seeing the World Trade Center, the new one, um, yeah. and, and parking up in Brooklyn was just unforgettable. And I think that, that they've just got to keep that going and keep that tradition of Kunai going. It's so important. Yeah, I think they will, to be fair. They, I mean, Kunai's the oldest cruise line in the world, 180 years this year. Um, and they've survived wars, uh, terrorist attacks, all the health scares. Um, it's going to be a bit of a bouncy ride, but they will uh, definitely be one of the ones that survive. I, I'm pretty pretty confident of that. And um, just before we wrap up, Cunard is seen as, as we mentioned, a traditional line. Um, what was the mix of ages on board, given that it is a transatlantic? Uh, there was a, I've been on different cruises on the Q, QM2 before. Uh, the age, there was quite a mix of age on this on this cruise, actually. There was quite a lot of young crew um, on, on this cruise. And I'd say probably average age would be 60s, 70s. Um, and um, I'd say that there would be quite a lot of people that were in their, say, 30s and 40s as well, which was nice. And there was also quite a few kids aboard this one as well. Yeah, people forget that Cunard have a really, really good kids facility on board. Yeah, it's brilliant. Uh, I'm having having two little little kids myself. I can't wait to get them on board because I think it's exceptional. They've got a full kids area. They've got a crèche with people that look after um, after your kids. So uh, I think there's a great opportunity to be able to bring your family on board. And I don't think a lot of people know that. I think they see it as uh, an older person's ship or cruise line, which couldn't be further from the truth. I think there's so many things to do from every age bracket. Yeah, I agree. And um, if you're ever going to do a transatlantic cruise, Cunard is the way to go and Queen Mary 2 is the ship to choose. Um, if anybody is looking for a Cunard cruise, you can speak to our good friends and sponsors at cruisefinder.com.au. Remember that each and every call, question and answer, sorry, remember that each and every call, chat and email is answered here in Australia by clear accredited cruise specialists. But Alex, thank you very, very much for joining us today. And uh, next time you do cruise, I'd love to hear about your next experience. Pleasure, Bess. Anytime. That's all for today. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe and leave us a review on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or wherever you find your favorite podcasts. Until next time, bon voyage. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. 
That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.